Well, good morning, DBC. I love how that picture right there just presented it to us, this story of Ruth that we've been in. Thank you to our worship team for just leading us in worship and just preparing us for this place where we're talking about faith and families. That's what we've been in all this month as we've been in the book of Ruth. And it's just great to be with you here today on this Memorial Day. Let me just say this to those of you who are veterans today. This is a special weekend uh, as we celebrated this past Thursday. Uh, I know many of you, you are thinking of people and others of us that are not veterans. We're remembering people uh, who've given their lives. And as we do that remembrance, this weekend is appropriate then for communion, which helps us to remember the bigger picture the sacrifice Jesus made for all of our freedom. So we're going to have communion later. If you're watching online and you'd like to take communion with us, just want to give you the heads up now to go ahead and get those elements. That's going to be a special part of our service that we're going to conclude with today. And um, we're going to conclude this series in the book of Ruth, focusing on families. Now, when I say that term, there's a lot of single adults out here who are going, okay, check, this isn't exactly for me this week because I don't have a family yet or I'm not in that place in life or whatever. No, we all come from a family of origin of some kind, even if we were not brought up in a two-parent family, single parents, lots of different situations. But we all have families that need God's redemption and that, that are messy. And we're going to get into that as we talk about this sort of lingering legacy of Ruth. So last week, our pastor did a great job of really bringing it all home. And today, what I get to do is talk about the bigger picture and sort of the legacy, the rest of the story. For those of y'all that remember Paul Harvey, this is sort of the rest of the story with the book of Ruth. And the thing that we're going to see today as we dig into this is this common theme, that families, families are messy. Families are messy, Y'all, we could go around this room right now, and if we started talking to everybody here and telling the stories about our families, it would be eye-opening, wouldn't it be? I mean, really, we could tell some stories for a long, we could be here for days, right? But God cleans up our mess. That's what we're going to see here today. Families are messy but God cleans up our mess. Now, I know you're looking at me right now, and you might see some of the pastors around here, and you go, yeah, I know, we've all got messy families, but you guys, like, y'all are, you know, you're like in the ministry, so your families are good, right? Like, y'all are all, like, it's all good, right? Listen, the Bible I'm preaching from right now, if I turn to the front of this Bible, I've got an inscription here, presented to me by Mama Como, my grandmother, called her Mama as a kid, in November of 1990 for my birthday. And... Mama Como was dear to me, to our family. I loved Mama. We lived with Mama for a while, and she ran the family furniture business that my grandfather had started. Both my parents were in that business. About 10 months after she gave me this Bible, the summer of 1991, she fired all the family out of the business. Just, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, you talk about messy. My grandmother fired her son and daughter-in-law and, and her daughter-in-law's mother. I mean, it was like all the family's out. Now, we learned later she had a brain tumor. There was also a manager that was just dirty, didn't want the family in the business because he wanted to advance, and he convinced her to do that. But, man, you talk about mess. For five years, all of my middle school, high school years, I went through. My, my dad had multiple jobs. 
My mom tried doing what she could do. She ended up going back to school. God was working in the midst of all that, and I'll tell you the rest of it a little later, but in the midst of the difficulties, y'all, it was a mess. It was a mess. I mean, really, really bad on a, on a terrible level. And, and I know, like I said, we can go through this room, and I bet you can top me, right? Like there's that crazy uncle, right? Everybody's got the crazy uncle. We all know that story, right? You've all got a crazy uncle, right? We've all got that mess in our families. But listen to me. God redeems our mess. God cleans it up. That's what he does. That is what the book of Ruth is about. And so today I've got a picture I want to present to you. I want to show you this picture. You're going to see this a bunch. And it looks like this. You start right here with Perez and work your way all the way to David. And I want to read this passage. Listen to this in Ruth chapter 4. This is the final part of Ruth. This, then, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. You could do this with me. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. Now, I want to show you today that in this simple genealogy, just these words, so-and-so was the father of so-and-so and the father of so-and-so, God has something to teach us about our messy families. So let's go to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word that gives light to the simple. God, we are simple. Our minds are simple, and we look at these words, and, and it's just words to us, and, and just some people who had other people and had children, and we don't really know much about this, but God, you have a teaching for us in this to shine light into our families. So God, do that today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we've been in the book of Ruth for a month, and we've just last week heard a great recap from our pastor talking all about what Ruth has to teach us, the story specifically of Ruth. And I won't go into the whole thing. Some of you who may be watching for the first time or you haven't heard this story, basically Ruth was an outsider. She was from a place called Moab. Her mother-in-law is going back to her homeland because she's lost, the mother-in-law has lost her husband, and then Ruth's uh, husband was the was the son of this mother-in-law as well as the other sons. So this poor lady Naomi loses her husband, her two sons, and she's going back home to Bethlehem. And Ruth makes a commitment to her. That's sort of the short version of that. Ultimately, God then has a commitment for Ruth to bring her up and to redeem her. And our pastor said it so well. There was a proposal that led to a promise. If you were here last week, you heard that. And he had all these great phrases. And, and I want you to see this promise particularly because we're going to hone in on that today. But he said it took her from gloom to groom. And he's got a way of saying those things. Every one of those points lined up. I'm not going to be able to do that today, but I tried for this one. All right, y'all just help me out here. Just this one. We're going to go from the proposal to a promise, then a promise that leads to a covenant. Now that covenant went from the Jewish people to all of you, his people. 
All right, I told you, it's not as good as what Pastor Allen could do, all right? He, I tried, I tried. But last, listen, last week he reminded us of this. There's a promise in this story, a promise for a woman who's an outsider. And through God's intervention, he brings about this beautiful redemption, brings her a kinsman redeemer, Boaz, to marry her and to give her a child. And as I said, this is the rest of the story. So we see at the end of it this long lineage, all these names. Now we look at these names, and Perez doesn't mean much different from Ram to us, and Salmon sounds like a fish. I don't know who that is. But all these names, who are these people? To the Jewish people that heard this, this would be kind of like if I put this picture up for you, and said, hey, this general, George Washington. Anybody know anything about George Washington? Could we talk a little bit about George Washington? How about Eisenhower? Anybody know about Eisenhower? On this Memorial Day weekend, those of you who either served World War II, had a parent or grandparent who served in the war, you know all about the great things that Eisenhower did. And both of these men were also presidents of our nation, right? Like, we know these stories. Well, the Hebrew people, when they heard this story... They would look at these names, and they would say, yeah, they would know these names. So the name Perez, for example. Perez was the son of Judah. Judah and Tamar. Now this story, this really, when you talk about messy families, this gets in the weeds. Okay, Judah, he's one of the sons of Israel, Jacob's 12 sons. You know this name because Jesus is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah, right? I mean, Judah's up there. He's a big name. Judah had a son who died. So he gave his wife Tamar to the next son because that was their custom. And that son sinned against God and would not have a child with her. So God put, her, put him to death. And so then Judah's like, you know what? We're not going to bother with the marrying you to the third son. Just let her be a widow. Which, as we've learned, if you've been in the series of Ruth, Widows were destitute. They were the bottom of society. They had nothing. They had no rights. They had no wealth inherited, nothing. He just left her there. So she took it on herself, put herself in a position to be elevated, and basically, without going into all the details, you can read it in Scripture, but she got impregnated by her father-in-law and had twins. Perez was one of those twins, an illegitimate child, so we have this beautiful genealogy at the end, and let's call this the genealogy of the illegitimate child. Wow, that just has a ring to it, doesn't it? <laughs> I mean, what's, what's God thinking in all of it? Like, what, what's he doing with this? What, what are we talking about? So we start there with Perez. Now we kind of redeem it a little bit with Aminadab and Nashon. Aminadab was the father-in-law of Aaron, the priest. He was over a whole line of priests, the Aaronic priests. This is his father-in-law. He was held in high esteem. His son, Nashon, Nashon was even greater than his father. When they consecrated the tabernacle, they brought the 12 tribes together. Nashon's prayer is the first prayer recorded over that consecration. He's the one who consecrated the temple. When the Israelites marched into the Holy Land, 
the promised land that God was giving them, they went in tribe by tribe. There were millions of them. They estimated somewhere around 2 million or so maybe. But each one of those family 12 tribes marched in. Judah was the first one. Guess who went first at the head of the line? Nashon. So you want to talk about like a George Washington kind of a figure. This was a guy that when they looked at this list, they went, ah, Nashon. They knew. Like when this name, when this was read, ah, yes, we remember. In the temple when they would hear that name, mm, he was one of the good ones. And as we go along, then we have Boaz and Ruth, the story we find ourselves in this month. Now, Boaz, we learn later in the New Testament, we have this genealogy in Matthew. We learn that Boaz is the son of Rahab, the prostitute. Remember the story of Jericho? They sent in these 12 spies. Well, this guy, Salmon, was one of those spies. And he ends up with Rahab, who's the prostitute that helped them, who was spared. But still, Boaz is their son. So, you know, if your family is looking a little complicated, take a look at this family. I mean, it's, it's really, it's messy, people. It's messy. And then it gets messier because then we've got Ruth in the story. All right. We, we have this woman who's from Bethlehem. She and her husband Elimelech, so Naomi, Elimelech, they go out to Moab. Moab, these were the enemies. These are the people that, that were fighting with them when they came into the promised land. They go out to those people, and then their children marry women from Moab. That's Ruth. Like, she's the daughter of the enemy. And now she brings her back, and she goes back to Bethlehem. I mean, what are you doing infiltrating the camp here? But not only that, but we have this sort of infiltration in the story of Ruth that goes even greater than that. Listen to this. Listen to these words. If, when you think about all these names I've just given you, in Deuteronomy 23, verse 2, those born of an illicit union, hmm, Perez, uh, maybe Boaz, uh, shall not be admitted to the assembly of the Lord even to the tenth generation. None of their descendants shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. The next verse goes on a little further, gets a little close to home. No Ammonite or Moabite shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. Even to what generation? The 10th generation. None of their descendants shall be admitted to the assembly of the Lord. Wow. Like they, they can't come into the fellowship. To 10 generations, they can't be admitted. So I want you to look at this list again. Count that off. One, two, three, four, five, six. At seven, we hit Boaz. Now, if you know anything about the way things are in Scripture, seven's significant, right? Seven's a big deal. So God, working through those that wrote this down, he, he made a point to say, hey, pay attention. Seven, but eight, nine, and David is ten. To the tenth generation. You don't think they knew the law enough to know what was going on there? You don't think here at the end of Ruth that they didn't realize she's from Moab. She's outside. How wild is this that David's son Solomon would actually build the temple, and yet, according to this law, he couldn't go into it because it was less than 10 generations. His great-great-grandmother was a Moabite. 
So he wasn't even allowed in. What's going on here? I mean, why would God write that into this, really? Like, is, is God breaking his own laws here? What's, what's going on there? I think what we have here is a picture of a loving, redeeming God who loves your family. He loves you so much that he says, you know, there are some things that are problematic in your family. There are, there are some problems that you, you're not going to be able to, to work through, but I've got promises that are bigger than your problems. Now, a lot of people like to point to God in the Old Testament and say, the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. I don't believe that. It says in his word, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When you hear that challenge, I would challenge that, and this verse is a perfect example. These five verses are a perfect example. Because what we see in these verses is a God who, yes, has laid down the law, but his promises and his love, we see this theme. There's this word in the Hebrew called hesed. It's this loyal, devoted love. That's what Boaz had for Ruth. That is God's love for us. And he has given us promises for our messy families. But I want to just look at the Old Testament right now, and I want you to think about how we hold on to the promises and let go of our problems. Some of us here today are holding on to some problems in our lives that we need to let go of. And I just want to speak a few verses over us. All of this from the Old Testament. Listen to this. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of your enemies, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. That is our God. That is his promise. He will never leave you. Hold on to his promise. Let go of your problems. But he goes on. Listen to this in Exodus 14. The Lord himself will fight for you. And I like how the New Living Translation says it. Just stay calm. Just stay calm. God's got the fight. He's got the fight. What is it that you're fighting right now? What is it that you're holding on to? What is it in your family? You've got this thing that for decades has been held onto in your family. So-and-so did such-and-such such to so-and-so. My grandmother, what she did, that divided our family. You don't think that messed things up for a long time? But at some point, we had to let go. We had to hold on to the promises and let go of all of those problems. Hold on. But this last verse, this last verse, I want you to hear this promise. Do not be afraid, for I have redeemed you. That's the picture of the story in Ruth. He is our redeemer. I have redeemed you, and more than that, I have called you by name. Don't miss that. Take that in. Just stop for a second. Look at those words. I have called you by name. You are mine. God says that to you. He speaks that to each of us. I've called you by name. The God of the universe, he says that that's a promise of his so that when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. 
when you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burnt up. The flames will not consume you. So hold on to these promises of God. This is a God of covenant. That is the picture that we see here. So what we have first is a promise that leads to a covenant. We've seen this promise to Ruth, right? There's this promise that she will, she's been given marriage, right? She's going to have, she's going to be able to have a child, and she has a child, and they bless her for it. In chapter 4, we've read that. But that promise leads to this covenant. At the end of the story is King David. Now, this is one of those, when they would read this, ah, King David. I mean, when his name was read in the temple, you just have to know. It was, just, it was one of those names they would read it and they'd go, hmm, right? Like David. He's held up in the highest regard among the Hebrew people. You know David? David, the one who committed adultery and then found out that the woman he committed adultery with was pregnant. And so he had the husband killed to cover it all up. That same David, that's the David that we go, ah, this, this is the end of this genealogy. David, what a great man. Wow, wow, what a messed up sinner. <laughs> wow. Can you see yourself in there? Come on. Are you not going, oh, wow, God. <sighs> okay. If you can still call that man a man after your own heart, then maybe there's some redemption for me. Maybe, just maybe. Because of this, there's a covenant that leads to a promised child. David, through David, God gave him a covenant. There's a specific, you know, we had the, Abraham, the covenant of Abraham. God would multiply. God had a covenant for this man. David, that's why they hold him in such high regard, because the king would come, the Messiah, God's king, would come from David's line. And when you read in Matthew chapter 1, the rest of that story, this exact genealogy is in Matthew chapter 1. They put four generations in front of it, so we get 14, which is two sevens, getting into all the numbers here. Numbers matter. So when you're reading Scripture, look into that. There's three sets of 14, too. Three matters as well. All of that points to the covenant of God, the covenant for David, but ultimately the covenant for all of us because this promised child is for all people, all people. Now, y'all, don't miss this. Ruth, right in the middle of this story, Ruth is a Moabite woman. She's from their enemies. Her family can't go to the assembly of God up to the 10th generation. She is an outsider. You want to talk about Rahab, a prostitute from Jericho? These are literally the enemies that they're coming in to attack and take over. And yet God weaves her into this amazing genealogy. Whoa. And then we start at the very beginning. Perez, 
illegitimate child. There's another 10th generation. And that's no accident that God lined it up this way because there are multiple generations between some of these, like Hezron and Ram, Ram to Aminadab. There's 10 for a reason. God's trying to say something to us. To the 10th generation, his grace covers over us. His grace is for us. Now, I got to tell you a little bit of the rest of the story, because in my own messed up family, I kind of left you hanging there. What happened after my grandmother fired all the family out of the business? We go through five years, like my eighth grade year, all the way through high school. My dad's working in different jobs, and God put a, uh, a, just a, a seed of an idea in my mom and dad's hearts about starting their own furniture business. They, my dad had grown up in it. My mom knew it well, and God called them to start that when I started college, they started this business, and that's been a couple of decades now, and God has blessed them tremendously. He also restored in our family. My dad, one year later, went back to help close down the business that he'd been fired from. That's the kind of humility that I got to see modeled to me, but that's also, that's family, understanding, forgiveness. Some of us need to understand that. And so I have to ask you a question. Is there something that you're holding on to? What are you holding on to today instead of clinging to the promises of God? Is there something in your family that you go back maybe decades and you go, I just have never been able to forgive. I couldn't let that go. Or maybe there's just something that's going on. Maybe you've got a job situation right now that is just beating you up and you're just dealing with it all the time. And it's just what's on your mind. You talk about it. You try not to talk about it, but it just, it's always happening. Students, it might be a situation with some friends at school. Like, you know, there may be some bullying going on in your life, and you cannot, you just, you don't even want to go back to school next year. What is it that you're holding on to that God's just saying, let it go? We heard all those promises. The promises of God are for you. So let those things go and cling to his promises. Because I want to bring us back here. Families are messy. All right? Let's look in each other's eyes. My family, I told you, my family's messy. All right? I know there's mess here. But more important than that is that God cleans up our mess. He sent us Jesus to do just that. That's the rest of the story. Jesus came as a result of this family. Right here in this genealogy, God spoke in. He breathed into this signals for us to see what he was going to do with Jesus, to help us clean up the mess. Now, some of you here today would say, I've never heard it put that way, even talking about Jesus, not really sure I'm familiar with him. Maybe you're watching online today. And you'd say, I, I, I don't even know all the details you're talking about. What you need to know is this. Jesus, this Messiah that came from the line of David, he died for you and rose again to allow for us to have redeemed families, to clean up our messes, to be that redeemer like Boaz was in the story of Ruth to come in and redeem our lives, to pick us up out of the muck and the mire like Psalm 40 talks about, get us out of that, put our feet on a rock. And I want us as families to see some verses that remind us 
And we heard it today. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Michael already shared that verse. And we said, if the Lord builds the house, nobody can tear it down. You've got to put your foundation on him. So today, some of us need to do just that. We need to take some time to just reestablish our feet on the foundation of God. We're going to have communion in a minute. And when we do communion, it's going to be a time for us to do just that, do some business with God, to follow the words of Joshua. He said it this way, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is the time to consecrate ourselves, our families, Maybe if you are a group of singles, you're not in a family group right now. As a group, hey, together we're going to serve the Lord. That's what he's calling on us to do because of what Jesus did for us. Now, we do get to celebrate communion today. And before we do that, I just want to have a word of prayer. If there's anybody here who this is new to you, just, would you all just bow your heads? But if this is new to you, our band's going to be coming up and we're going to have some communion in a moment here. But it's this simple. Just say these words. God, my life is messed up. And I see today that I need a Savior. I need you to change my life. I need your transformation. I believe that Jesus your son died for me and rose again. And even though I don't maybe know all of the ins and outs of it, I don't understand it all, I trust you. And I place my trust in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, for all of us today, I think it's a time to reconsecrate. I know for me, just saying that prayer once again, I need to renew that every day. God, I just... Give my family over to you, my life to you. This is a time for us as a church to get to do that with communion. So we're going to go back to doing communion like we did it pre-COVID, almost, almost. Our deacons are actually going to come forward. And deacons, you're welcome to join me. Come on up here. Deacons are going to take their places in the room. And we're actually going to go to the deacons and receive the elements. In the past, we used to dip the bread into the cup we're not going to do that anymore for sanitary purposes, but they're going to hand you the bread, the wafer, and the cup for you to take. Take your time here. We're going to take a moment, and we're going to take some time to consecrate ourselves. And I want to read you these words from 1 Corinthians that Paul shared about how we're to do this. He said that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, the cup is the new covenant. We've talked about covenant. This is the new covenant we get to participate in today. The new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. But he goes on to give us this word, 
And our, our pastor wanted me to make this point for all of us. You'll hear him every time he shares this. This is so important that we take time, and this is what he says, examine yourself before you eat the bread and drink of the cup. Because anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on themselves. We don't want that, so examine our hearts. This is a sacred communion, a sacred time. And so take some time right now. Our band is gonna play some music and sing. We're gonna have this as a time of worship so you can stay in your place for a moment while people are lining up. Consecrate your heart. Say, Lord, what is it that I need to let go of? What is it that maybe God's shown you that you need to show forgiveness somewhere? Clear your heart before God. If you've never taken communion before and you'd say, this is all new to me and that prayer, I, I prayed that, but I don't quite know what to do. We have pastors here on the sides. John Hume is over here. Um, Alan Tolliver will be on this side. If you need to talk to a pastor, pray with a pastor, you can do that and you can take communion if you'd like to join in that. But we're gonna have this time. I'm gonna say a word of prayer and I wanna invite you just to come forward. Um, we don't all need to stand. You can stay in your place. You can kneel. Take time just to worship God. And when it's over, if there's still the music, we've got enough music here to cover a lot of time. But if we're still singing, we're gonna let this just be a time of consecration and prayer. And we'll finish out in worship and then I'll close us out. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, you surprise us. How in the world you are able to take our families and the mess. God, these families we read about today and make something beautiful. Bring about your Messiah, your chosen one from the mess of our lives. How do you do that, God? We don't understand, but we thank you. We thank you, God. We thank you that you are here. And now, Lord, as we prepare to take the bread and the cup, God, we just ask that you would shine light in our hearts, Lord. Show us, as the psalmist said, if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. We dedicate this time to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.